Well, hello there and welcome to my corner of the digital universe. Prepare to dive deep, get real, get close, and find out entirely too much about people you likely don't even know. I am Jeremy Griffin and these are my conversations. So grab a coffee and get comfortable. Let's see, here we go. You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. And I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Conversations. Um, If you haven't done it already, please don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. And if you would share this episode, which I know so many of you will because today's guest is not just amazing, but intriguing. (laughs) That set him up great. And has the coolest name of anybody who's ever been on the show. Please welcome Shadrach Black. Thanks, Jeremy. (laughs) How are you, man? I'm doing well. It's good to be here. I got to tell you, um, experiencing that intro live. Is it special? Yeah, it is. It actually, it is. It is special. Oh, God. I'm just sitting here grinning, you know, because, dude, you know, I hear it on the podcast, but being able to experience it live. (laughs) Well, cool. Yeah. It's fun for me. It's my, it's my test bed when I do anything, you know, I'm showing people how to do intros or whatever. Right. Fire into it and, um, (laughs) I don't know. It's fun. A lot. Most people, if they they if they don't pay close attention, they assume it's pre-recorded, right? And then, but I do try to change it up every once in a while. Yeah. Okay. So, man, this is what's cool about what's happening right now. Just like I normally do, <laughs> and what I advise all of our podcasters not to do is you and I talk for like three hours before the show. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I always tell people, don't do that. You waste all your good stuff. But I knew for you and I that was not going to be the case, right? Um, because you, uh, live in Africa. Yes. And this is why it's so cool. I've had you on my list to be on the show for a long time Mm. and I just assume it'd be a call in. Right. But thanks to this world we share called paintball, Mm -hmm. you are sitting in my studio and uncle Joe. Don't forget uncle Joe. Uncle Joe. Yep. Why uncle Joe? Well, you're... (laughs) Your tax dollars oh, paying for a stimulus check. That's right. Allowed me to come to the U.S. Thank you, Uncle Joe. Thank you, Uncle Joe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wait. This deserves a. No, it deserves a. There it is. Oh, there we go. Yes, <laughs> that's the right one. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, I'm going to talk about. Of course, I want you to tell your story because, uh, uh, again, you're, you're somebody that likely nobody knows and, I, and especially on this uh in my little corner of the digital universe <laughs> and but i, I want to get into that but i want to talk about how we met because i think this is pretty awesome i like telling this story because you and i have become very close mm-hmm. and we've done so with you being in africa and me being in oklahoma yeah and so how did you tell the story of how we tell, met tell how i remember how the story. you remember it because right. mine's way more romantic oh, okay <laughs> I was actually telling my wife last night, she's asking, so who is it you're meeting with tomorrow again? (laughs) Just explaining some of your story to her, uh, but then also, again, repeating the story of how we met. Um, You and I first met at Bass Pro. That's right. In the parking lot as we're trading out paintball markers. That's right. (laughs) So I had one that I wanted to try something different. You had the other thing that I wanted and we're willing to make the trade. So we meet up not knowing each other in the parking lot of Bass Pro. Right. And the way I tell the story, afterward I go home and just mention to Melissa, we were stateside at that point. So uh, living here in Oklahoma City, I go home and I tell Melissa, I just met this guy and I I have no idea, but there's just something different about him. Different in a good way, but there was just something different because the paintball world is is interesting, right? You get a lot of, a lot of interesting people. That's true. You could say that they're different Uh and mean a lot of things. Yes. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. No, but there's, I know it doesn't make sense to everyone. Mm -hmm but there was a spiritual connection there that was different than what you have with just like an average person or just everybody. And I think we're meant to have those spiritual connections, especially inside the body of the church. But even in that context, you don't always. So there was just something weird that I had that feeling just in trading out and (laughs) trading out these markers and talking about paintball stuff. Right Now I'm trying to remember what's the second time that we were able to meet well, we had coffee. 
uh, you you were coming stateside. Is, is that actually the second that time was the that second we actually time we met? physically right met because again. we yeah. had a bunch of conversation. I don't even remember how that one started, but we just started like texting back and forth, yeah. even as I was back in Africa, right? And just having all these conversations. So like it feels like I know a lot about you, but most of that has not been in face to face, and you know this this sort of physical proximity. Right. It's just been as God has for whatever reason allowed both of us to feel that vulnerability to open up about what he has done, what Mm -hmm. he's doing in us, the way that he's shaping us. And that vulnerability has led to a closeness that, yeah. So this is actually what our third time time to meet physically. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Yeah, that is really how many years it's been about three years, I think. Right. Yeah. So probably it would have been somewhere in 2018 that we met the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that, and that that's the crazy thing. So that's pretty much the story I tell. But it, right. my side of it is very similar. I come back and I'm like, man, there's something different about this dude. And so I do what you know any psychopath does, and I Facebook stalk. And right. I'm like, okay, so what? Because we didn't talk about anything spiritual. No, not at all. We, it was only paintball. Only paintball. And yep. and so I come back and I see who you work for, mm-hmm. which I as I say it now, it's like some Baptist thing. So yeah, who, right. some Baptist thing, <laughs> some Baptist yeah, thing. That's it. And, and I, well, here's the other thing that was kind of weird to me. So, um, we were on Facebook. This is like how we even connected. It was through Facebook and like basically an international Facebook page yeah. for paintball markers and mm-hmm. things like that. And we were setting up a trade. Yeah. And the question came up, well, where are you located? Uh-huh. And you're like, oh yeah, that's right. Cause it wasn't even intentionally about Oklahoma city. Right. It was just, I was getting ready to ship halfway around the world. And <laughs> as was I, I'm like, right. And my, I was going to do a straight up trade. And then both of us were in the same boat of like, we kind of like the internals that we already have. Uh-huh. And so he's like, I said, where are you located? And you're like, Bethany, Oklahoma. No. Well, that's like 20 minutes. You just want to meet a bad friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So Setting that was that crazy. Safe, neutral location. Exactly. Because you know, like, I have no idea who this guy is. So, you know. <laughs> right. But yeah, it was, uh, I went home and I checked that out and I'm like, okay, well, well that, that explains it to explains it meaning, okay, well this makes sense sort of. Mm. Um, but I remember telling everybody, cause I just, you know, whoever's the closest to me within the time frame gets, right. gets these stories. Right. right. There you go. And so, uh, you know, I told my wife and, and telling different people and I just thought it was pretty cool. And then, um, you messaged something to me on Facebook. Um, and I think it was, it probably was also paintball related, but then it just started shifting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought, man, I love this. I love that I was able to, meet somebody through this process of playing paintball that now can have a significant part of my life. And, and I think this is what's been really, just so you know, you've blessed me so much because, um, you know, there are people that, that hear the voice of God and don't obey. I think those, those two things have to go hand in hand or you might as well have not even heard. It's like worse, right? If you hear and you don't obey. And so I remember not to fast forward too much because I want to come back, but uh, when I took a sabbatical at the beginning of 2020, um, before we knew everyone was going to take a sabbatical mm-hmm. <laughs> before that, happened. by the way, not everyone took us. Well, that's, that's true. Just, just so you know, <laughs> I know that's actually very true. But when, when that happened, you messaged me and then we talked on the phone mm-hmm. and because God had put me on your heart and right. there's something amazingly, um, confidence building in the supernatural, of who God really is, how he operates when somebody halfway around the world hmm. has you on their heart and starts praying for you. Right. And, and I just want to thank you for being obedient and then sharing that because it just meant the world to me hmm. anyway. So we met there. So, so I remember you saying at Bass Pro, we were talking about going to an event called snake eater mm-hmm. and, uh, and then you, but you were getting ready to go back to Africa. And I remember thinking, wait, what, <laughs> why are you, you're going to Africa? So I want you to talk a little bit about what you do because um, you're a missionary. Mm -hmm. Most people who've listened to missionaries have listened to them in their local church come and raise support, essentially talk about what they're doing, what God's doing over there. And and so I want to kind of get the the non-church version of that, like what drives you, what your passion is and what's happening there and, and all of that. Right. So in terms of job, uh, we work with a Southern Baptist relief and development organization. 
right? So we are based out of that church, uh, out of that denomination, but there are, there's a number of different types of missionaries. If we, you know, sure. we talk about it that way, uh, you have some missionaries that are very task focused, which can be running a specific business or administrative or that sort of thing. You have other missionaries that are, uh, like more church focused, which usually takes the form of evangelism and church planting, especially in places where there isn't a large church or there isn't a developed church. And then you have, uh, a different kind of support missionary. Yes, you have some that are administrative in the sense of supporting missionaries that are on the field with logistical things. Mm. Um, but what we talk about is equipping the church. And so in community development and disaster response, my primary task is equipping the church. Now that's both local church where they're the ones responding to the needs that are in their communities. They're the ones that are actively showing the love of Christ and proclaiming the love of Christ in their communities. But then also we're equipping the global church, letting the global church know about what God's doing around the world, about what the needs are around the world and how they can be involved in that. So I get to walk this neat balance of equipping both ways. Yeah. And one of the greatest things about that for me personally is being shaped by that environment. Mm. So because we do kind of have one foot in not just the US church, but uh, like, cause South Korean churches are, are super strong. You have really strong churches in places like Kenya and Nigeria that are investing in other parts of Africa and other parts of the world. Um, the Brazilian church is, is also really strong and mission sending. Mm. Um, so I get one foot in all of that outside of West Africa church yeah. and, and being a part of how God is informing those churches about what he's doing and offering opportunities to be involved. And then the other foot in the West African church. And so that just huge multiculturalism has been a big part of our lives. So let's take a step back and go to God calling us into this. Yeah. Um, so my wife, Melissa and I met in college. Uh, she was coming in as a freshman. I was transferring in little private college in the middle of nowhere. Uh, go Williams Baptist university for anyone looking. <laughs> What's the mascot? Uh, an Eagle. Of okay. course. Go, well, I mean, go it's Eagles. Christian, right? Right. So, it's gotta be know, an Eagle. Yeah. It's gotta be an Eagle. Unless you're Duke university and then right. it's blue devils. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> tells you how Christian they are. Boom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we meet at school. I'm transferring in. She's a freshman. The first time that we really meet each other is at the president's reception for all the new students and she's playing piano and I step up and sing and, you know, like, so that just sort of starts a thing. We start having classes together and within just a few months we're dating mm. a year and a half after that. And we're engaged. You know, eight months after we're engaged and we're married, 10 months after we're married, we have our first kid. Then a year after our first kid is born, <laughs> we're at training to head overseas. Wow. Right. So there's just this, this big shift in life. But one of the interesting things that that did is we didn't have a lot of adult maturing outside of this international work that God was doing in us. And so all throughout our adult lives, God has been using all of these different peoples, all of these different churches, mm. all of these different languages. Like we're on African language number four right now. You know, so all of these different languages and cultures, both Christian and not. So in the church, but also just in the communities mm -hmm. you know, to shape who we are, to shape our understanding of the world around us and to shape our understanding of the mission that God is sending us on. So there's a real unique blessing in that one that we love to share with people. Um, but we're realizing more and more what a gift that is because, uh, and I'll just hint that like Jeremy shared, he and I have had some other conversations already this morning, uh, but like I hinted at in some of the other conversations, what we've come to realize is every time that our worldviews clash, mm -hmm. it's an opportunity for us to go to scripture and look at what does God desire our worldview to be? When we look at how we understand the world, the point is every time we see those clashes and those headbutts, it's an opportunity to ask, all right, God, how should we understand these things? What things should we hold tightly to? What things should we hold loosely? And so being able to be formed by God 
in that work throughout our entire adult lives has been a really huge blessing. And now we're 16 years in Africa. That's amazing. So that is amazing. I, you know, you, you mentioned worldview and, and this is one of the things I think is the most interesting. And I, I get more curious about this because when I went to, um, Ireland about four or five years ago, I was really surprised. Lori and I were on a 20 year anniversary trip. And so we're watching a game show that's an Irish based game show. And they're asking questions like, you know, what state has the highest production of oil? Hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, they have states here. (laughs) And then they say Texas or whatever they say, you know, it's probably Alaska actually. But, um, but I'm like, wow, they're like, they're very locked into the U S culture. And yet the U S has like zero world knowledge. Right. Right. I mean, we're locked into the U S (laughs) culture. And so I find it so intriguing for me, I was like, this is weird. And then even like getting in a cab and, and the guy asking me questions about like gun laws Mm. and I'm like, what, (laughs) like, why is this even on your radar? Mm. Um, and so I kind of want to get your perspective on how the rest of the world, or maybe your why, like, why do you think the rest of the world is so focused on us policies and and not just policies, but culture and everything. And then how you see the U S in that too. Right. Obviously I I can't speak for all of these other places. You know, one of the questions I get a lot is how many languages do they speak there in Africa? You know, because Africa is one big country, you know, not, not 54 (laughs) countries. Right. Um, And just a a quick shout out to the size of Africa. Um, It actually takes longer for me to travel from West Africa to the United, or excuse me, it takes me more time to travel from West Africa to South Africa than it does to travel from West Africa to the United States. That's amazing. So it, it's faster to fly straight across the Atlantic Ocean than it is to fly straight from one side of Africa to the other. Wow. Right. So, so just to yeah. follow the scope of Africa, right? right? So yeah, it's broader than the Atlantic Ocean. Um, anyway, that's crazy. so just to throw that out there, um, and one country that we lived in that's like roughly the size of Oklahoma, there were 53 different languages oh, wow. spoken there. So all of these different cultures. Um, so speaking, you know, especially in any sort of authoritative sense for all of that <laughs> is impossible. It's just like an American to assume you could speak for the whole world. <laughs> kind of like that question. Do you speak African? Right. Um, I guess right. Afrikaans is a language, the right? Afrikaans is a language. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, that is a language. Um, African is not that, that would be an adjective. Um, right. So with that understanding, however, I think one of the big reasons that the world is is engaged with American politics is accessibility. Mm. I mean, we pump everything there is about America out into the world. Mm. Like we, we pump our television shows, our movies, our politics, we pump all of it out. And, and that's not just a new thing with the idea of, you know, streaming and all this kind of stuff and the accessibility of all of this, like even that idea that American democracy is the ideal for the world and something that we're meant to enforce Mm. in the world. Now, there are some wonderful things about American democracy, but some of that idea of, well, America is obviously the height of everything. It's the height of God's work, right? We are, we are actually the epitome of God's work. And so (laughs) the most natural response then is to take that and try and plug it in everywhere around the world. Yeah. Um, we don't have to go into all of that right now. I really do love, (laughs) I I love the United States. I'm really glad to be an American, Mm -hmm. um, and to have that as part of my background. Uh, but there are some challenges that come with being an American as well, especially in an international context. I imagine. Uh, so I think that's part of it. Part of the fascination is just the accessibility. Um, also, at times when America is very willing to uh, broadcast its train wrecks <laughs> right. to the world, um, everybody loves watching a train wreck. Right. That's why I'm on social media. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> yep. To watch and to argue about it. That's and right. we give the world plenty to argue about. Mm. So <laughs> that is, man, that's real. I do want to dive a little bit into this American democracy. I, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in, in the States cause you, 
were you you were here your whole like I, I grew up in yeah the you grew States, up here yeah. that's right but yeah. your parents were missionaries right they were before I was born. before you okay. and in West Africa so. oh wow yeah. that's even cooler yeah well and I'm sure you got this too but growing up you know America is the best country in the world mm -hmm. America's number one we're the only free country right. all of these things one the first statements are completely subjective uh -huh. <laughs> and and even if you're going to make them objective you have to be more specific number one at what <laughs> right right and I'm sure there are we some are number one in American football we are that's yes. true <laughs> we are also number one in defense spending oh, um, that's something that we can say um Number two is China right, right. now. So, mm -hmm. and it's a very distant number two. Uh -huh. <laughs> Think about that. I mean, it's very distant and their, their economy is much stronger than ours right now, which is so also interesting. But, um, when was your first revelation that there were other free countries and other democracies? I was around a number of exchange students growing up and with my parents having served overseas in the home, we were not really like America is the end all. Mm -hmm. um, again, one of the things that serving overseas, living overseas teaches you is the things to love about American freedoms. And there have been books written on the idea of America versus the reality of America. Mm. And that's some of what God has done in me is help me understand uh, that some of the things I mourn about current situations in America is mourning an ideal that may or may not have actually been the reality. Uh, anyway, that's a little bit of a different conversation. Uh, but I think even when we were first moving overseas, even though I had been exposed to other cultures, I had traveled, I had already uh, made trips to India, to Western Europe, um, and then lots of trips all over the United States into different cultures than my Southern upbringing. Right. So I'd already had some of that exposure and especially exposure to the church in some of these different environments. So realizing that people don't have to worship like a person in the Southern United States in order to be a Christian, mm -hmm. that was a good first point of opening that door. Um, because it's not just that like America is the best, but in the Southern church, you sometimes get this idea that the way that we do church is the best. Mm. And so getting some exposure to people who are really serious about their faith, who are really, really honestly serving God and trying to obey him with everything that they are and everything that they have, even when they have relatively nothing from my <laughs> perspective, right? like that began to really open my eyes. But I didn't understand some of my own, uh, I know the word nationalism will get you <laughs> caught up at times, but what we're talking about is a certain type of ethnocentrism, right? Right. Um, it's thinking like the people who are like me do it the best way. And that applied at this national level, right? The people mm -hmm. who do it like the United States do it the best way. Um, I didn't really start to deal with some of that until a couple of years into living overseas. Um, in part because the, the first place we moved was the least developed nation on the planet. Wow. Right. And so even when we're in the capital city, like just to throw this out there, like we're living in one of the best neighborhoods in the capital city and you still have to have a four wheel drive truck to drive around in the neighborhood during rainy season because the streets get so muddy that you can't get out of your driveway. Right. Right. And where is this? Niger. Niger. That's yeah. right. And so we would have a house, right? And it's, it, I mean, nothing super fancy. It's cinder block, tin roof, that sort of thing. But we have a house. We're living there with our family. And then right next door, it's a grass hut, right? Mm. With a thatch roof. And, and that's right next door in the best neighborhood in the capital city. And then we also moved out to the bush after that, where we're in a, <laughs> you know, actually in a more bush environment. Yeah. Um, but seeing all of that actually can, in some instances, promote that idea that obviously America is doing it the best because we don't have this kind of situation. Yeah. Um, but again, one of the big, one of the big equalizing factors in all of that was seeing the local church and its love for the local people. Mm. And so being a part of the local church really helped shape a lot of that for us 
because we were able to see people who relative to our American perspective had nothing, but who were still giving sacrificially of themselves and their resources in obedience to God and trying to obey and to follow him. And in some ways being even more faithful in their obedience, in their proclamation of the gospel, in their showing of Christ's love than we were as the American missionaries right. sent to show them how to do it. Yeah. And I'm putting how to do it in air quotes sure, right. for, for those listening along. <laughs> um, there, there's big air quotes around the how to do it. Right. Uh, yeah, but seeing that and being brought to the point of understanding, all right, I have a lot to learn. Yes, I have gifts that God is requiring of me that I share and that I use for his glory and for the growth of the kingdom, but I also have a lot to learn. And God is using these people that I might naturally look down on mm. to teach me who he is. And so, you know, having having the the core of some of your worldview shaken in that context of who God is and what he's doing and the people that he uses, it's actually a really good entryway into that because it's not just about politics and power and all of that. This is something that is key to who I am. And so it, it's almost kind of a soft spot mm. for God to land and start that work of understanding that my worldview isn't meant to be American. It's not meant to be Southern. It's meant to be biblical. Mm. And so that opens that door for all of these other things to shift as we run into those worldview conflicts. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Because, I, you know, as you're talking, I was thinking about, I heard the stat the other day that if you make more than $30,000 a year in the U.S., you were in the top 1% worldwide. Right. And so we don't, we here don't see that. In fact, if you make $30,000 here, you're like, Hey, I mean, that's what my kids make. You know, it's like, yeah. whatever it's first level well, job, you know, well, exactly. Yeah. Right. And so of course I remember growing up thinking 30,000 was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Of course, when I was, it, it was more money. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. right. But I think about that and, and the advantage that comes from, and I do see it as an advantage that comes from, uh, being in the 99% worldwide mm -hmm. is I believe God wants us reliant on him. Mm -hmm. And when we have sustenance, we tend to through, through finances or whatever, right. we tend to not be reliant on him, yeah. but relying on ourselves. Right. And so I think there's an advantage to truly living by faith in that moment. Right. And so I think I, I see very much how that happens right. uh, in that world. Um, I don't know what do you think about Although that. Although there's a, so one of the things that we do is use volunteers. Mm -hmm. And again, talking about that idea of helping engage the global church in what God is doing in West Africa. So we, we bring people over intentionally because we want them to be able to be a part of it. We want them to know how to pray. We want them to know what their gifts are going towards. And we want them to be using their gifts. Like even though we talk about uh, spiritual gifts mostly in the context of the local church, our spiritual gifts are also given in the context of the global church. Mm -hmm. And so when God is equipping like you uh, with your <laughs> giftings, then there's that question of how does he want to use the gifts that he's given you for the benefit is global church. And mm -hmm. we've actually talked about that some, yeah. even in me coming to you and asking questions about, all right, Jeremy, we're stuck in COVID, uh, but we still need to be able to do church. Like, help me think through this. And mm -hmm. so God is using you and your gifts to equip his global church. And he's using our church in our country to equip the global church even further. Um, so we all have that. The thing is we also all have the temptation to create our own idols and our own self-reliances. Yeah. So sometimes we have volunteers come over and they see the poverty, right? And they see the physical signs of lack of resources. And specifically they're talking about material resources. That's the big thing that everybody sees when they first land is lack of material resources. Thing is, it's just as easy for someone in poverty to try and be self-reliant. Mm as it is for someone in wealth. Gotcha. And so we all, 
I think it's John Piper. I don't know the exact quote, but he talked about uh, how our hearts are prolific idol makers, right? Mm. Like our our hearts just design idols for us to chase after. And self-reliance is one of those idols. And we actually do see that a lot in impoverished settings because people are like, if I could just get this or if I could just get that, then I'll be able to move out of this setting. Mm -hmm. And we see that a lot around the world. So that a reliance on God is not something that comes naturally to anyone. Gotcha. It's something that the Holy Spirit works in us. And the danger is in both, in wealth and in poverty, that we look more to ourselves than we do to God. Mm. And even learning to teach about that, like go back to Niger and, and in that context. And when we had, uh, we we're witnessing in a certain region and uh, Jeremy, you and I have talked about this before, but our job is helping meet physical needs and using that as an opportunity to also share about our spiritual need. And so we, we want to show people the love of Christ and it is God that equips us to love. Um, So we're trying to, to meet physical needs of people and just show them love but we are holistic people. You know, we exist more than just our, our physical needs. And so we also want to help meet spiritual needs. It, it's not a trick. It's not, right. you know, it, it's not meant to be, well, if you'll, I'll only give you these things, you know, right. if you choose to follow Jesus, it's not like that at all. We're just trying to meet people's needs and we try and meet those needs physically, spiritually, emotionally, holistically. Mm-hmm. And so as we're talking about Jesus is the one who meets all of our needs, physical and emotional and spiritual. Then we had a person in in this region choose to follow Christ. And he was one of the first in that entire region of the country. And he was the second one in that entire region to get baptized. And baptism is usually when like persecution really kicks off because before that, the community can kind of ignore what you've done. Gotcha. But when you make that step of baptism, it's an official Mark. Yeah. Right? We talk about baptism as a sign of faith. And the the sign, even as scripture teaches, is that you are dying to yourself and you're being raised in a new life in Christ. Mm-hmm. And that communicates big time. I would in imagine there, yeah, it would be way bigger than what it would be here because it's more acceptable or whatever. Right. Here. And especially in some of the southern context or a culturally Christian context. Yeah. You know, getting saved. And again, I'm I'm throwing the air quotes. (laughs) Yep. So getting saved, getting baptized, becoming a church member, those are usually celebrated things, maybe less so now than in the past, Mm -hmm. but those are celebrated things. And so like everybody cheers and claps, you know, in different contexts with other dominant religious groups, then that proclaiming yourself to be a follower of Jesus is death. It is taking up your cross. And so with, one guy that we were able to help disciple and I was able to baptize him, he really saw the persecution tick up after that moment of baptism. It ends up that his family's taken away from him, his land is taken away from him, he himself wow. is beaten. And I'm here trying to disciple him in the midst of all of that. And, you know, we're reading through, I've actually got my Bible here, um, but like we're reading through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and you get in Matthew 6 and Jesus is talking about, uh, speaking specifically to his disciples and he's talking about, look around, you know, you see the sparrows, you see the example of the flowers. And those are the ones that he really draws on talking about with the flowers, how even Solomon, you know, the richest man, wisest man ever known in all of history, like wasn't clothed in splendor like those flowers. You look at these sparrows and they don't like plant seeds and they don't harvest seed, you know, but God provides for their food. And so the point in all of that is saying, don't worry about those things. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. The rest of the world chases after all of that and worries about all of that. And that culminates with that teaching of, but seek first the kingdom Mm -hmm. of God and his righteousness, which again, big churchy word, but basically it means being right with God or having a right standing with God, which also means meeting his standard of holiness. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of those other things will be provided to you. Yeah. 
And I'm teaching that to this guy who's had his family taken away from him, who's had his fields taken away from him, you know, yeah. who, who has nothing like he's enduring physical abuse because of his choice to follow Jesus. And I feel like such a fake, mm. you know, I, I'm so phony, right? Because here I am with food. I've got clothes. I've got a house. We're doing fine. I mean, sure, it's hot because we're in the desert, you know, but <laughs> right. like like the, the, the persecution air quotes again, the persecution <laughs> that I'm enduring is that, you know, in Niger, it gets to 140 degrees, oh, right? Which is hot. I mean, yes. Yeah, that's hot. But it's a dry heat, so it's okay. <laughs> is this why you can go to D-Day, Oklahoma and not yeah. even break a sweat? Yeah, you know, right? we're good. Yeah, we just keep <laughs> pressing on. Uh, yeah, I've gotten gotten weak on that one now, though. We, we live in a very different place now. Than the, but I'm trying to use scripture because we believe that scripture is powerful. We believe that it's true and that God is going to work through that in helping this guy become a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus. And he's got to know how to do that. And he doesn't get that from me, an American, you know, with American worldview and American background coming over to teach. So I'm trying to teach this guy scripture and what knowledge, what little knowledge I have. And it just feels so fake. Now, we are able to help him get new fields. And as you know, like just having land, though, doesn't guarantee a good harvest. And and that year, it really is a a quite poor harvest. So that most of the people around are not going to be able to feed themselves. And in that environment, you get one shot. You get one harvest each year, Mm. and that's got to last you until the next harvest season. Wow. So like the worst time of year is actually while you're out farming cuz that's when you've run out right. of last year's harvest if you if it even made it that long. Wow. That's when you've run out but you can't eat what you're growing yet. Mm. Right? So the harvest that year was actually really bad. And most of his family, even those who had been the ones persecuting him and beating him cuz it's all done in the family. Mm-hmm. He's able to reap a harvest that is sufficient enough for him also to provide for the ones that were even coming against him. Wow. And showing that love and, you know, experiencing that alongside him. Like my first thought is, oh, okay, God has finally worked his good in a bad situation, right? So we see the persecution, we see the suffering, and it's like, okay, now God has brought good into the bad. And one of the things that this guy taught me, again, new believer, (laughs) newly baptized, we're just going through the Bible because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Right. (laughs) And he talks to me about this and says, you know, actually, the whole situation is good. Like God is teaching me to depend on him. Mm. And if I learn that lesson, then I'll never want for anything. Wow. And I'm like, God, who in the world is this? First off, right? (laughs) Right. And how in the world have you brought me to a place where I could learn that lesson from this guy? Mm -hmm. You know, the idea that he looks at his own suffering and says, no, this is all good because of what God is teaching me through it and what I'm going to be able to teach others. And his testimony is actually one that God used in some pretty amazing ways to draw more and more people from that area to himself. Yeah. But that's, I mean, it's totally a Holy Spirit thing, right? Right, yeah. You know, that the Holy Spirit was working that understanding in him and allowing me to also benefit from what the Holy Spirit was doing in him. Yeah. What What's the main, main like, driving animosity towards Christendom in, in that case? Yeah. So across West Africa, most of, especially the northern part of it, is in Muslim territories, gotcha. right? And the governments are usually not anti-Christian. Uh, it's more that they are pro-Western aid, um, but it's it's okay for people to be in these countries uh, as Christians. And even for locals to choose to follow Christ is usually okay. So it's not situations like uh, across some of North Africa, some parts of the Middle East, some parts of Asia where it's illegal to change your faith. Yeah, um, That's not the case in most of these countries. But West Africa is very communal and the islamic religion is also very communal like there are these works that you do together you fast together you Mm. pray together you go to the mosque together so it's very communal and so when someone chooses to step out of that 
it's an abandoning of that community. And that's felt in a lot of different ways. I mean, it does have economic repercussions. You know, mm. There are social repercussions to stepping out of that community that's trying to provide for one another, but that's also holding each other in. Right. And so when you make the decision to step out of that community, there are repercussions and the community usually reacts against that. Yeah. Um, man, there's just like we have 20 minutes left and I'm thinking of like two hours worth of questions, but <laughs> I'm going to ask this one. What I want you to talk a little bit about what you've found to be the biggest misconception about what you do with people, uh, from the U S not just what you do specifically, but, um, preconceived notions about missionaries. Right. Um, yeah, go for it. The biggest preconceived notion that's incorrect about missionaries is kind of our holiness, mm. you know, and sharing a little bit about, you know, that we were young and stupid and didn't know anything. And God has sort of allowed us to grow up uh, as adults in the international setting and in this mission setting speaks to that in some ways. Um, but we're not, we're not extra holy or anything. Yeah. You know, the biggest thing is the choice to be obedient. Now, some missionaries do have specific calls to specific areas or to specific people groups. And, and they sense that from early ages saying, you know, God is calling me to this place or to this people or to do this task. Melissa and I didn't really have that. Um, we were willing to go internationally, but like I shared, we were just starting a young family. And then our other three kids, we have four, our other three kids were born in different countries around West Africa as God has moved us around. Mm we didn't have a specific call to a place or to a people. We were just interested, felt God leading us that direction towards international missions mm -hmm. and said, okay, we'll be obedient. So it's not that missionaries are extra holy, you know, or have, I hate to talk about it this way, but it's not that we necessarily have a super unique call. Mm. Instead, missionaries are people who are trying to be obedient and then God grows that holiness in you as he uses you. Mm. That discipleship process isn't something you do in isolation from the community of God. It's also not something you do in isolation of service to God. So you don't get to just sit back in your <laughs> living room and right. like become a better disciple or a better follower of Christ. Yeah. It's done in community and in service. Man, that's something that happens, I think, is is far too often here is that in the United States, you hear a lot of, when I'm ready, I'll go do. Mm -hmm. And it's nope. like, there is no ready. When are you going to yeah. be ready? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we were just trying to be obedient. And I think most of the missionaries that I know, that's the case. It's just people trying to be obedient and God uses them in some unique ways. But the base call is a call to obedience. And hopefully that's something that everyone knows is their call because it is universal. Right. The it call is. to obedience is universal. Right. There is no, <laughs> there's no exemption. For right. That. Nope. No. So I had this discussion with somebody the other day because, you know, the word, the discipleship right now in, in the States is very buzzy, mm -hmm. right? Everyone's talking about right. discipleship and it's like, yeah, this new concept, uh -huh. of course, <laughs> it was established many, many thousands of years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, no, but, um, so I was talking with somebody and it was like, let's def what would we define this as? Because, mm -hmm. because it's a buzzword, everyone has their own view of that. Right. And so where I've landed for now mm -hmm. is at its most root, it's hearing the voice of God and obeying. Like, mm -hmm. so discipleship would be learning to hear the voice of God and then obey it. Yeah. In my mind, if I do that, like mm -hmm. everything should fall into place. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, this is what I'm seeing in our culture and, and man, I don't know, maybe it's worldwide, but, but basically we've, we've kind of wanted to make it more complex mm -hmm. and have all these layers to it so that all of a sudden now it's convoluted. Yeah. You know? Well, we prefer concrete, right? Like right. if it's, if it's a series of steps, you know, if it's a certain number of spiritual laws, not meaning to step on toes, um, <laughs> you know, like if it's a number of steps or if it's a very concrete, here's what you do. And then when you get to this point, you've arrived, you've done it, right? Yes. Yeah, like there's that end goal of, all right, I only have to get this far and then ta-da, finish line, I'm done. Yeah. We you treat know. it like oh, secondary yeah. education. Yep. 
Yeah. And we love that, right? We, we love those things. And really that's part of our tendency to want to work, to earn things. Like it's so hard to rest in God's grace and mercy, mm-hmm. like to trust that that's actually where we are mm-hmm. and that we don't have to work for it. And that the obedience is a response to God's grace and mercy. Like it's not that we get his grace and mercy because of how good we are, because of what great things we've done. You know, it, it's not, but it's really hard to just trust that God loves me. He's going to do what's best. Even if I feel like I'm a complete failure. Right. Right. And, and so learning to trust and rest in his grace and mercy and let that be our foundation of, and the foundation of who we are as followers of Christ is a really difficult thing. So we, we make it complicated in part because we love our works, right? Yeah. We, love, we love being able to say, I did these things and so now God bless me or you know, like we can, <laughs> right. we can ask for God's blessing because of the good works that we've right. done. Or we can say, I know I'm doing the right things because of these works. Mm. And it's not, I'm doing the right thing because I'm resting in relationship with him. It's, I know I'm doing the right things because of these steps that Mm. I'm taking. Wow. So that's, you know, that's one issue in all of that. Um, And the other issue with discipleship is, again, it, it has to be done in community and we don't like community. Mm-hmm. And it's not just us. This is around the world. Nobody wants to be vulnerable. Yeah. But discipleship, I, I really like that definition of hearing from God and obeying. Again, done in community, though, there's yes. this aspect where God is working to shape every aspect of who you are. And so that process is learning to hear from God about, yes, your evangelism, when you go out and share the gospel and you're, you get that prompt in your spirit of, I should start a spiritual conversation with this person. And you're given that choice of, all right, do I listen to that even though it's super uncomfortable <laughs> or do I just dive in knowing that it's super uncomfortable, but being willing to live in that, yeah. you're given that choice. So when you feel that spirit prompt towards sharing the gospel or starting a spiritual conversation, you have a choice of obedience, but it's even, how do I use my money? Mm. How do I parent my children? And we don't want those things in community. Mm. I don't want other people to know how I use my money. I don't want other people to hear how I parent my children. Right? <laughs> like, like, like we, we want to put some space in our walls so that when it's time to do some yelling that, you know, the, right. the community doesn't know that it's time to do some yelling. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want people in those parts of my life. Mm-hmm. But what I'm doing is intentionally cutting out the community that God chooses to use. And when I'm teaching about how God speaks to us, and yes, I point first to scripture that God speaks to us through the Bible, but God also speaks to us through those promptings of the Holy Spirit. God speaks to us in prayer because you know, mm-hmm. prayer, it's, it's used not just to be a part of what God's doing, but God shapes us in prayer. Like yeah. his, his spirit prompts us to know the things that we ought to pray and to shy away from things that we shouldn't be praying. So prayer is something that he uses to shape us, but he also speaks to us in the fellowship of the believers. And so we should expect that we learn how to parent and we learn how to handle our finances and we learn how to steward all of our resources in the context of the church. But those are the things that we are most keen to block out from the church. And so when we remove the opportunity for God to use his body to speak to us, to grow us and to shape us in all of those things that are really important. I'm not saying that our finances are not important. They are. Sure. But when we block all of that off from the church and the only time the church even deals with it is when we have a building program or something and we need your offerings. Right. You know, man, like we we shouldn't be surprised that we are not well discipled believers. Right. Man, that's so, that's good. All these things are, so for those of you listening right now and you're looking for message ideas, if you're a pastor, like <laughs> there's about 13 of them so far. <laughs> just just grab and build your notes <laughs> and go from there. So you are, you guys are in Senegal now, right? Right. And uh, I'm a little envious of that, to be honest with you, because the Senegal is a beautiful place. It is. It's it's got beauty in all sorts of ways. We've got desert, we've got rainforest, we've got sort of mountains, not really mountains, but sort of mountains. Mountains for Oklahoma, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, mountains for Oklahoma. <laughs> so I want to ask got you, ocean. You do have ocean, which is my first time to have ocean. Never lived near ocean before. 
Really? Yep. Never. Wow. So first time to live near ocean. Yeah. That's the part I'm most envious of. <laughs> I send Jeremy pictures occasionally. Yeah. And like, cause I keep telling him he needs to come to West Africa. <laughs> and so I wait until I know he's in kind of a hard place. <laughs> and then I send him pictures from the beach or pictures when I'm out spear fishing and exactly. you know, saying like, Hey, look, we're about to eat this nice fresh fish grilled on the beach that we just caught. Uh, Wouldn't you like to be here? Exactly. I do some post of lament and he's like, Oh, it's time. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, what I wanted to ask you about, <laughs> instead of uh, rubbing it in my face, what I wanted to ask you about was how how did COVID affect what you did? Uh, we touched on a little bit ago, but yeah. um, within that space of your ministry there in in Senegal, how right. how did that affect you? Yeah. So that talk of not everyone had a sabbatical, right? right. right. Um, in that in that ministry of caring to people or caring for people and meeting their meeting their felt needs uh, covid was actually an extremely busy time for us and that continues now we're still experiencing the after effects of covid and the shutdown of markets and the stoppage of goods and trade internationally is still having a huge effect um, especially in the poorer or less developed regions of the world so we're still experiencing that uh, quite a bit but one of the one of the interesting things that we saw come out of COVID is a lot of churches and missionaries as well, but especially local churches that had previously had more of an inward focus. Now they're in situations of persecution. They're in environments that are not conducive to their existence. Right. Like for some of the people that we're working with, every aspect of life is harder for them because they are Christians. Mm -hmm. Like they're blocked from local markets. They're blocked from the communal water sources. They're blocked from communal resources. And so every aspect of life is more difficult for these folks because they are followers of Jesus. We're seeing churches that were more inwardly focused and protective, mm. asking the question of what can we do? We see the hurting in our communities and we want to help. And so COVID just like blew the lid off of this idea of protective Christianity. Yes, we were helping primarily in and through the churches, but we did not have a single church in the last like 14 months of responding to COVID requests throughout the region, there was not a single time where a church was asking for assistance and did not say, we want to help our entire community. Wow. So whether it's hand washing stations, whether it's information broadcast, just getting the news out, yes, COVID is actually real. We should try and make some changes in life, <laughs> um, you know, or if it's providing food, you know, like, in every aspect, medical care is we're having medical clinics come into different places to help care for uh, with with the big focus on COVID. A lot of other medical needs were getting shoved down mm -hmm. things like diabetes, high blood pressure that are very critical to those who are uh, living up under those those situations, especially in these less developed contexts those things were getting kind of pushed down. And so medical clinics that are focusing specifically on those other things, you know, in every single situation, we did not have a single church, a single missionary, a single church planter say, I only want to focus on the Christians. Mm -hmm. Every single time they're saying, we want to provide for our entire community. So how can we do that? And seeing that love of Christ being lived out in those instances has just been a huge blessing to me. Yes, it's made things really, really busy, right. um, but it's such a huge blessing because I get to walk alongside all of these people that we've been praying for, those that are that are more traditional partners for us, because we got a lot of new partners as well in this time, but especially for traditional partners, those that we've been praying that prayer for, for a long time of saying, God, please help them find ways and help them have a love for their community so that even those that are persecuting them, they want to turn around and bless them and love them mm -hmm. because we know that that's how God's going to move in those communities. So we've been praying that prayer over some of these partners for a long time and just seeing God do that work seeing what that accomplishes it's not always that like all of a sudden everybody gets saved it's, it's rarely that you right, know that, right. that that the entire communities turn to christ all of a sudden that that's rare mm -hmm. but you see openness happen and you see what god is doing in these churches and in these believers because they're learning to love even those who have been their enemies even those who have persecuted them and there's a depth of faith there that grows when you learn to depend on Christ's love being poured 
into you and through you rather than just depending on your own ability to love. Yeah. It's that whole idea of Christ is the vine and we are the branches and he's a, a source and a supply for us. So no, we're absolutely not able to love these other people, especially those persecuting us on our own and in our own ability and even the outward forms of love that we might show to them would have selfish motives or self-aggrandizing motives. Right. You know, so like we're at wrong motive at that point, you know, but when we're willing to submit to Christ's love for those people, knowing that, like as Jesus is sharing again, Sermon on the Mount, God sends his son on the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends his reign on the righteous mm. and the unrighteous. So Jesus points to God's example of loving those even who hate him right. and tells us that we are also supposed to love those who hate us and those who persecute us. And seeing God work that in the lives of these believers and church members and churches all around West Africa has just been really amazing. It's, it's a huge blessing to me and a huge encouragement. It, it's again, part of being able to be a part of the discipling work that God is doing around the world. Um, and <laughs> being in the middle of some of that is, is a, a huge honor. That is, that is really awesome, man. And I'm just, I love the fact that we have gotten to know each other because I, I get to hear your heart. You, you're never agenda based when we talk. And I try not to be. You, well, I, I've I mean, never except noticed. for getting you to West Africa. Well, that, right. Yeah, that, I have a, that I have I a specific agenda there. Right. <laughs> but I, I think, uh, you know, one of the things about the Stream Grace Network, one of our requirements is authenticity. Right. And that's what I love about you and your heart. It's so authentic and real. And your motives are driven 100% by um, the Holy Spirit inside of you. I mean, maybe not 100% because I'm not around you all the time, but my experience is that that's how it's reflected. Yeah, we were, um, so I was able to preach at a local church yesterday. And at the end of that, uh, the invitation song was I Surrender All. Mm. And during that song, I went up to the preacher and asked, hey, can I just say one more word real quick? And he's like, yeah, that's great. Um, and just sharing with the congregation there, like this song is is good it's old you know it's right. an old hymn like it's one of those it's a standard altar call song yes right? right standard altar call song um yeah yes you have not been in certain churches long if you have never heard that song for an altar call um but as i'm sitting there trying to sing that song and the the chorus is just i surrender all i surrender all i surrender all right um <laughs> i'm sitting there singing that or trying to and the holy spirit is just like running in my mind, a list of the things that I'm actively trying not to surrender. Mm. Thanks, right? <laughs> uh -huh. So I, when I go back up, I just shared that with folks and said, okay, listen, like even as we're singing this song, it, it's, a, it's a good song to call to mind this idea of surrendering everything that we are to Christ. However, like I'm sitting here thinking of all the things that I don't want to surrender. And you may be doing that as well. And if you're not, you're probably not paying attention to what you're singing, but you know, that's okay. You know, and I mentioned the story. So it's one of the stories in the gospels and Jesus has taken a few of his disciples up on a mountain and the rest of his disciples are down at the bottom and a father brings his son who's demon possessed to those disciples and asks them to cast out the demon. Well, Jesus and those couple of disciples come back down afterward and the disciples that were left at the bottom are asking Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And it's neat that it's a normal thing that they expected to be able to present that power of God in that setting. You know, how cool right, is that? Yeah. Um, but they're asking, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus at the end says, well, some things are only done through prayer and fasting. But that comes after Jesus has an interaction with that father. And he sees the presence of the demon in that kid and, and the demon's trying to throw him around. And the father says the demon even tries to kill my kid at different points in time. And and Jesus says, um, like he the father asked Jesus, like, can you heal him? Right. Mm -hmm. Basically that question of, can you do it? And Jesus says, his response is like, everything is possible to those who believe he, he actually asked if I can, right. you know, kind of prompting <laughs> him with like, are, are you doubting on this one? Like if I can, everything's possible to those who believe. And the father's response to that statement from Jesus is 
I believe help my unbelief. Yeah. And it's that neat like juxtaposition of those two things. Like, yes, I believe and I, I want to believe, but I need help with those areas of unbelief. Mm. So, I mean, it's definitely not that I'm like a hundred percent on anything, but my consistent prayer and what I hope everybody's consistent prayer is, is that very thing. Like I, I desire to believe, but God, I need your help with my unbelief. Yeah, man, that is good. Guys, listen, if you, uh, I want you to tell everybody if, if someone feels prompted today to support what you're doing, how would they do that? Uh, the biggest thing and, and the biggest way to do that is through um, the Global Hunger Relief Fund. So if you just Google that, it'll bring it up. Um, that fund is what goes to do the people supporting work that we do now. Our personal support, we're, we're good. That's through our greater church network. Um, but that funding through that Global Hunger Relief offering is what allows all of the meeting physical needs and getting people into the places to meet those physical needs. Awesome. So that'd be a great way to give. Man, thank you so much for yeah, being a, a part, pleasure. dude. This was a blast. It was a blast for me. Thanks, Jim. And I hope me all too. you guys enjoyed it. Um, thanks again for joining us. Uh, I'm really grateful for everyone who listens. And this is one that I really want to encourage you to make sure and share out. Um, Shadrach Black is one of the coolest people I've ever known. And I want everybody to know him. So if you get a chance personal favor share this one out and uh, thank you guys again for listening god bless you guys and we will see you next time